Before I pray for us, let me just uh, start with a word of thanksgiving. I just returned from uh, two weeks to Nigeria with a small team from Resurrection, three of us. So I want to say thank you to Resurrection. You sent us. It was your resources that made that trip possible in so many ways. Many of you helped take care of Catherine and the kids while Ellison and I and Pastor Matt were gone. It meant that I had to miss some really special things that I love, like our team pancake breakfast and the throwing of pancakes and our glorious Christmas festival. So thank you. Thank you just for how generous you are, for the way you release me and, and underwrite so much of the work that we're doing throughout the world here at Resurrection. So I want to say thank you. I want to share with you more about what God taught me uh, in my time there. But first, let's pray together. Father, we're right here on the cusp of the celebration of the incredible work of God that you became, God became man in Jesus Christ that we might be saved from our sins. Lord, may we never, never lose a wonder and an awe at the miracle of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that even this morning you would stir up in us a deeper belief in Jesus. Lord, a greater awe, Father, that you loved us so much that you gave your only Son. Come now, Holy Spirit, inform us Guide us and direct us, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I was praying before I left for Nigeria that my two team members, Pastor Matt, who leads our mission, work here at Resurrection, and my son Ellison, I was just praying that right away they would have some kind of quintessential African or Nigerian experience. Neither of them had ever been to Africa before. This was my third trip. And within 24 hours, my prayer was profoundly answered. We had left the airport in Abuja, in the center of the country, and we were traveling north to the city of Jos, which is where we would spend our time together there. And I can just tell as we're on the road and the sun is rising, and they're just kind of taking in everything, all the sounds of Africa and all the colors of Africa, and I have to admit, all the smells of Africa, which are somewhat pleasant and somewhat onerous at times. They're taking it all in, they're absorbing it all. And then I look ahead and I see something I've never seen before. There are two men, they're on a motorcycle, and they have on that motorcycle with them a fully grown donkey. He just kind of, he just kind of slumped over the, the, the sort of gas, gas engine part of it, and they're like buzzing down the road about 50 miles per hour with this fully grown donkey, just, just limp, just as if he's happy to be there. And it's impossible! I mean, he's a bucking, isn't he? Hawing, he's, it's, it's as if he's been trained to ride on motorcycles around the country of Nigeria. Absolutely impossible, but clearly there was a necessity to this, right? They, they, they had to farm somewhere, and it would take them hours to go on a donkey, so why not put a donkey on a motorcycle? Impossible, and yet absolutely necessary. By the way, I mentioned it to Archbishop Ben later. I said, oh, I saw this hilarious thing driving to Joss today. I saw a full-grown donkey being carried on a motorcycle. He went, eh. as in, I see it all the time, Stuart. Get over it. So anyway, to me that was amazing. And it actually captured in a very funny image what happened over and over again in our time there, which is things that I would think are absolutely impossible are happening because it's necessary for the sake of the gospel that they happen. And our lectionary, our, our, our lesson, which is the lesson of the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're, we're brought to Mary here right before we are going to come into Christmas Eve. And in Mary, we are given a role model who lives out the words of the angel, nothing will be impossible with God. 
One theologian, one Christian thinker has called the incarnation of Jesus Christ the impossible necessity. He said it's impossible that God would become man, but absolutely necessary that God become man, that we might be saved from our sins, that one might come among us, that one might be like us, and yet totally different from us, and that he's fully God, and yet he is indeed and absolutely fully man. The incarnation is the impossible necessity. Because with God, nothing will be impossible. When the angel gave that word to Mary, he gave that word to us as well. He first and foremost referred to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's what he was talking about first and foremost, but not exclusively. Because what would happen with the incarnation of God become man in Jesus, it's as if a massive glorious boulder is thrown into this great and glorious lake of all of history. And it made this incredible ripple effect where that boulder, that incarnation of God would change all of reality, all of our lives, all of how people relate to each other, but it would ripple out. It would ripple out forever from that place so that the word to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God, ripples out and becomes a word for us. It was given in the future tense. The immediate future, Jesus, Son of God, being born of the Virgin, Mary. But it's our word too. Because it's Mary's word. And Mary's one of us. When you change cultures, whether you go to live in another culture like several of our missionaries have here at Church of the Resurrection, or you travel or visit, you always have a chance to see things with new eyes, don't you? And what I kind of like about changing cultures, even for two weeks, is I get to trade the imperfections of my American culture with the imperfections of, for example, Nigerian culture. Not a perfect culture, by the way. Not a perfect culture by any stretch. But their imperfections are different than ours. Their challenges are different than ours. Their strengths are different than ours. So to be there is to have a whole new experience of seeing things with absolutely new eyes. And what God showed me over and over again on this trip is that what I would think impossible, they have come to believe in Christ things are possible. Let me start with the first thing. and It starts actually with Mary. I saw that the way that they live is that it is possible to live for more than safety. Safety does not appear to be one of God's most important values in the way that he treats his people. Indeed, his people are often put in very unsafe situations. God doesn't seem to be moving all of history toward, I want to make sure that my people are as safe as possible. Indeed, his people are put in situations where, for example, there's a whole entire army coming from the rear and there's a massive river in the front of them and they have no idea how they're going to get across it. Or they were preaching the gospel, doing what God says they're supposed to do, and rather than being thanked for it, they're put in prison. And now they're in prison and it looks like there's an impossible reality that they can't get out of prison, yet it's necessary they get out so they continue to preach the gospel. It doesn't feel safe. Paul didn't feel safe. Peter didn't feel safe. Mary didn't feel safe. Why does the angel say, do not be afraid? Because she doesn't feel safe in that moment. This angel, whatever an angel is, appears to be awesome and to create some level of fear. Our dear friends, the shepherds, will in a few days be scared by them again. It's possible in God to live for more than safety. Mary presses through this fearsome moment. She chooses to live for more than safety and ultimately says yes to God that she might be used 
in Jesus for the salvation of millions upon millions. Joss, Nigeria is not a safe place. We knew that before you sent me. It was confirmed while I was there when there was a bomb blast in the middle of our trip, right in the center of Joss. It'd be the equivalent of a bomb going off in front of the bank restaurant there on Front Street. It was right there in the heart. We'd been there two hours prior. It's not safe. And I'll never forget the moment. Uh, I walk, we walked in. We first saw Archbishop Ben Kawashi, who's been our ministry partner now for 15 years in Joss. And I walked in and he saw Pastor Matt. He was delighted. And Ellison came in after me. He said, your mother let you come. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that Ellison was there. They couldn't believe that my son was there. Others would say to me, you brought your son here? And I would say, does your son live here? Well, yes. So why wouldn't I bring my son here? It's possible, again and again I saw, to live for more than safety. This really came home to me on the day of the bomb blast. That happened in the evening, but that morning, it happened to be my, my birthday, I was invited to preach at a school. And the schools that the Anglican Church, they, they plant a school, they plant a health clinic, and they plant a church often together in an integrated uh, kind of ministry to the whole person. So I went to a school with about 350 students there, had a chance to preach. Ellison uh, shared a word as well. And, and after I preached, I had a strong sense, I need to make an altar call. I need to give an opportunity for these students, they're not all Christians, to receive Christ. So I leaned over to my host and said, would you mind, I don't want to come in and intervene in a way that's not appropriate as a white um, outsider, would you mind if I made an altar call? Brother, you may always make altar calls in the diocese with Joss. Never ask for permission again. I said, okay, great. So, I, I made an altar call. And as is the case with altar calls, uh, this, this is why one of the my pastors don't do them, is that people don't always respond. So then it's embarrassing. So I made an altar call. Nothing. Nothing happening. 350 children looking at me. Blink, 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 blink. <clears throat> I thought, I'm waiting these kids out. I know there's a kid who needs to get saved. I know it in my bones. I'm waiting. I wait, I wait, I wait. Find this precious little girl. I, I think maybe she's having mercy on the white preacher. I don't know, but she was under conviction. Something has changed in her heart. And she got up and she came right to the middle, right here. Two more boys came over, four kids. Before I knew, there were 18 kids that wanted to pray to receive Jesus for the first time in their lives. I asked the chaplain, was that all legit? You know those kids? Absolutely. I said, give them a list of their names. I've got it in my journal right now. When the bomb blast happened several hours later, I couldn't help but reflect. People come to Christ throughout the world. It doesn't have to be an unsafe situation, clearly. But were these children not perhaps more moved or stirred or ready or open? Because they live in a place where bombs go off. And they perhaps have ascertained the fragility of life and the need to be saved. It's possible to live for more than safety. Our brothers and sisters in Joss, many of them could leave. They do have the means to leave, but they won't leave because folks need to be saved. The poor need to be ennobled and blessed and churches need to be started. I'm so blessed by... I was blessed at the moment, two days later, I got to teach some senior leaders that they had gathered and the, the leader of that group uh, stood up and he said, I want to introduce Bishop Ruck to you, but before I do that, I want to say, and this was two days after the bomb blast, uh, Bishop Ruck is no longer simply a friend of ours. He's become our family. 
because he came when it was dangerous and he brought his son and he stayed when the danger was evidenced. He's become our, our family. He's part of us. He's one of us. And his diocese and his cathedral are one of us. Christian solidarity, partnership in Jesus and the gospel, that's more important than safety. Please hear me. I don't want to encourage us to run headlong into places that are unsafe. Indeed, in the early days of the church, when men and women were being martyred, the elders encouraged young men and women who wanted to be martyred, never run into martyrdom, never, never seek out unsafe situations. You only go where the Lord leads. But brothers and sisters, it became very clear to me, of all the places in the world, some of them not nearly as unsafe as Joss, Nigeria, northern Nigeria, God has led us into a profound partnership with a very unsafe part of the world. A partnership that will only grow, I think, from this point on. That's his decision. He's leading us there. We will seek wisdom. They took great care of us. They were very, very careful with us. But the fact of the matter is, it's not entirely safe. But is anywhere entirely safe? Gary Haugen leads the Ministry International Justice Mission in which he, throughout the world, sends men and women into very unsafe situations where children have been prostituted, women have been enslaved, and he sends them into these places and seeks to rescue them and bring them out through the machinations of legal uh, means as well as actual rescue means. And Gary Haugen has said this, and I find this very helpful coming from a fellow American who's wrestled with what we all wrestle with, which is a certain proclivity to make all things safe. He says this, after we poured into our children the good food and shelter and clothing, and after we've provided them with great education, discipline, structure and love, after we have worked so hard to provide every good thing, our children turn to us and they ask, why have you given all this to me? And the honest answer for me is, so you'll be safe. And my kid looks up at me and says, really? That's it? You want me to be safe? Your grand ambition for my life is that nothing bad happens? And I think something in them dies. They either go away to perish in safety or they go away looking for adventure in the wrong places. Jesus, on the other hand, affirms their sense of adventure and our yearning for larger glory. It's possible. It's possible we see in Mary, we see in our family in Joss, to live for more than safety. Secondly, it's possible to say yes to God so that others' lives might be changed. Mary has a moment that thinkers and theologians have captured. They call it the Marian yes, the Mary moment. It's where in verse 38, after she's been told that God will overshadow her, that the Son of God will be born unto her, a virgin, she says, let it be to me according to your word. That's the Mary yes. She says in the midst of something absolutely impossible, the Son of God being born in and from my body, that is what you're telling me? This is fearful? This is impossible? And yet you appear to think it's a necessity? In the midst of all of that, Mary says yes. It is possible to say yes 
to God. And in doing so, to change others' lives profoundly. Often we think that our yes or our no don't really matter. We equivocate on our yes to God or we shade or try to hide our no to God in some way. We think that it won't have any impact, that we're just living sort of individual solo lives that never really branch out beyond what we're doing. But the fact of the matter is what Mary shows us is it's possible to say yes to God and in doing so change others' lives profoundly. I saw this over and over again. Not simply the fact that Ben and Gloria have adopted, literally adopted 60 children. Many who have lost their parents through Boko Haram and through their merciless terror in the north of Nigeria. But that's not just Ben and Gloria. They actually have an incredible place where they do this. They have several acres. They have a house that's been provided for them in amazing ways to house these children. But there are other families, families that have a fraction of what Ben and Gloria have resource-wise, a fraction of what Ben and Gloria have housing-wise. There was one priest with his wife. They have four birth children. They've taken on five more children. They have nine. Plus, they've taken in three refugee families from the north of Nigeria that fled for their lives. They have 35 in their household with three bedrooms. And this priest makes the equivalent of $250 a month. He, they've said yes to God. It's possible to say yes to God and see how those lives profoundly changed. I spent a day at what's called the Christian Institute. That's the seminary, the training ground for all the work that happens in Joss. And now they're drawing leaders from outside of Joss as well. And that's the place where we have been profoundly invested. And this is a case where I not only saw Nigerians who were saying yes to God, but you have to understand, and I wish I could transport you there right now. I wish you could have stood right next to me when they brought me up in front of the 120 students, 60 of them healthcare workers, being trained to go into their villages to prevent very preventable diseases like malaria and dysentery and other problems. They're being trained to do all that. They're being trained in all of that. And what was trumpeted, last time it was kept more secret, what was trumpeted was, this is Bishop Ruck. He leads Diocese of the Upper Midwest and Church of the Resurrection. Their church built what is now called Resurrection Health Clinic. They built it. Because all of us said yes to God 12 years ago when we were called to give toward that work in Nigeria. Indeed, what I saw was only Nigerians saying yes you were saying yes. I was so proud of resurrection. I was so proud of the way that we think like kingdom men and women and children in this church. You do think like kingdom people. In so many ways, you're the ones also saying yes. And they were so proud of you. Everywhere I went, they said, oh, and Bishop Brooks Church, they actually built this dormitory now where a hundred seminarians can live and receive room and board so they can go to classes here. And oh, Bishop Ruck, he and his church, they helped buy this field right here, which will be the next place as we branch out and, and we're training more and more priests and more and more deacons. This is where they'll be trained theologically and in mission. You were all over the place, resurrection. You were everywhere over Christian Institute. Because you said yes to God. You, you sat there and we said, please give a gift on Good Friday, and you went, I'm going to do $500. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do $100. I have no idea how it's going to happen. I'm going to write a $10,000 check. That's what I'm going to do. But it's more than that. What the leader of the institute said, they've given a lot of money, she said. But here's the thing. They've stayed with us. Folks have come into Jaws. They've given a gift here or there, but they've stayed with us. Fifteen years they've stayed with us. They come and they see us, she said. Do you see how they want far more than simply to give money to us as Americans? What they actually want is our relationship. They want our partnership. That's what you've done. You've shown it's possible to say yes 
and see how those lives profoundly changed. Finally, we see in Mary that it's possible to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. We see this first and foremost in Mary in what is an absolutely unique moment where we're told how, she asks in verse 34, will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The impossible necessity of God to come man will be made possible in the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. That's a very important word. It's a technical word. It connects with the, with the work of God originally in creation in the book of Genesis where, where God broods over the waters. There's actually an overshadowing. That word is connected there. The overshadow has nothing to do really with somehow a male principle meeting a female principle and now we have a child. It has to do with a new creation. That the initiative of God is so profound in the incarnation. That the initiative of God and the new creation power of God is so amazing. He will overshadow Mary and a virgin will give birth to the Son of God. Absolutely impossible. Don't you dare become familiar with that doctrine. But believe it. But let it, let it disturb you. It's possible to be overshadowed and a new creation rise up. That great and glorious boulder, the incarnation, falls into the lake of all reality, but it ripples out to our lives as well. Do you know your marriage can be overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit and a new creation can rise forth? It's absolutely true. Do you know that your compulsions that you have that drive you into sin, those can be overshadowed by the power of God. Oh, to be a fool for Christ and believe that this is a reality in Jesus. That we can be new creations, new creatures. I'm not willing to parse that out too much. I'm not willing to overanalyze that reality too much. Instead, I'd like to believe that the impossible necessity of men and women, sinners, being transformed by the grace of God. Amen? This is what we have. This is the foundation of what we're given. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Mary teaches that. She's our role model. She's our instructor in Advent and Christmas in so many ways. We were at the Kawashi's home visiting, and the children were all, about 60 of the kids were all outside, and a group of women had come in from another diocese to support Gloria and Ben and to pray for the kids and be there with the kids. And uh, Mark, our host, who is just, uh, just attentive to the Lord, said, we need to go outside and see what's going on with the children. So we walked outside and we walked into a complete, full-blown just prayer meeting. And uh, they, they, were, they, they were shouting, they, was, they, they were going for it, they were praying like crazy. Um, I could see uh, Pastor Matt, he's like, whoa, what is this? Um, it, was, it was intense, it was very intense. And it just got more intense. And all of a sudden, as they're praying, they're praying for the children, they're praying for each other. And then we got kind of an open heaven moment where it's just like everything in the Lord just kind of came and you kind of forgot where you were and the heaviness of God was sort of present and many of us got on our knees and we were sort of quaking there. And, and then, then, then the leader of these women, she's the bishop's wife, said, I want to pray for the children. But these are the children that I want to pray for. If you saw your parents killed in front of you, by Boko Haram, I would like you to come forward right now so I can pray for you. I 
I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I, first of all, I, I, I can't get my mind to the place that that's possible in that moment. And secondly, I'm thinking if it is possible, none of those children are going to come forward. It's too much shame. But this little, this little girl, tears streaming down her face, she comes forward. And then 25 children came forth. I've seen a lot of ministry. I've seen a lot of healing prayer. I've, I've seen a lot of miracles. Can I just tell you, I've never seen anything like this. And these women, there's 10 of them. And they, they encircle these children. They grab, they, they, they grab their hands and they encircle these children. Like this maternal, this holy mother Love is just now being poured on these children. I don't even know how you get the faith to pray for this. I, I, I couldn't, I'm not sure I could do it. But they're all there. And they're, by the power of God, overshadowing these children. They believe a new creation can happen in these children's lives. And they're, they start praying upon these children. And they're just, they're laying hands on them and they're praying for them. And it's tender, but it's very profound. It's, it's riveting. We, we just sat there. We couldn't take our eyes off of this miracle. It was like, it was, it was like watch, watching God say, let there be a planet. And there was a planet. Like, let there be light. And there was light. It was like being present at, at a moment of a new creation. I've never seen anything like it. And it's powerful and it's glorious. But the reality is that what happened there was captured. But it's happening every day because those children wouldn't go just from that great dramatic moment. They've been adopted. They, they've been taken in by a family. Their last name is Kawashi. Indeed, Mama Gloria won't let them be called orphans. They're not orphans. They're mine. This is happening because it's possible for God's Holy Spirit to bring a new creation. It's possible for God to overshadow, yes, the Virgin Mary, first and foremost, but the ripples go out and overshadow us. Can I give this to you this morning? Can I just give you that scripture verse that the angel said to Mary as you prepare for Christmas? Would you hide that word in your heart? Would you ponder it? Would you let it disturb and and would you wrestle with it that nothing will be impossible with God? I know you will because I know you and I know how your hearts are fashioned. Father in heaven, I just pray that the gift of faith you've given our brothers and sisters, you've given us other gifts, Lord, and they love our gifts and they want our gifts as well, but you've given them a gift of faith. Lord, would you impart it here? Would you impart it in our hearts as a church and as individuals? And would you change us to even greater places of relying on the Bible and the truth that Gabriel said to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I try not to share two graphic stories, honestly, because I know it's, it's a lot. But I had to share that with you. As we share, I, we've asked, I've asked Pastor Matt and Ellison, uh, the other two members of our team, to come up and uh, give a brief word. So, uh, Matt and Ellis, would you guys come up? Um, they, uh, they viewed us as the team, and they uh, put us to work together as a team. 
Uh, it didn't seem to occur to them that Elliston was 15. That didn't seem to register. So, for example, we stayed in a hotel, and the manager of the hotel was a Christian, and she said, we have devotions every Wednesday morning. Um, how about, this was Tuesday night, how about Elliston leads tomorrow morning? Uh, I'm kind of the bishop. I, mean, I kind of thought I would lead. Um, but uh, actually, so, so Ellison led that. Um, by the way, Africans usually have in Nigeria, because they're very influenced by the Brits, they have often an African name and an English name. And I realized that my two traveling companions were carrying a deficit. They didn't have an African name. And that, that disturbed me. So I watched kind of the foods they were drawn to. Uh, there's, a, there's a liquid called Maltina in Nigeria. It's a malt drink made by beer companies, but without alcohol. And it's sweet and tasty. And Ellison actually found himself obsessed with Maltina. He had three to four a day. This is the first captain's hearing of this. I'm doing it in public so that, you know, there won't be any embarrassing moment here. Um, and so I gave Ellison, he has Ellison as his American name, and I gave him the African name Maltina. And uh, that was announced at the cathedral. Matt got obsessed with a particular bean dish called Moi Moi. And he wanted Moi Moi. He wanted to eat Moi Moi. Let's have Moi Moi with eggs, Moi Moi with chicken, Moi Moi with soup. And so I clearly named him Reverend Moi Moi. Then I felt bad for them that I didn't have a nickname, so I gave myself a nickname, Zyke, which means lion. <laughs> so, Maltina, share with your people. Okay, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so the Maltinas are really good. If you ever get a chance, I think they have them at um, Jimenez, maybe? Or Village Market? Yeah, somewhere. But um, they're really good, so you should try them. But... Um, um, so when I was leaving for Nigeria, uh, my dad just, I think, prayed even here in church um, that our whole team would be changed by the experience we had there. And uh, that really came to completion. And it was just an amazing time. And I was taught a lot. And it was just a great time for me. So uh, one thing that, that I um, noticed uh, when we got off was just how often um, the Nigerians pray. And they will do this anytime, anywhere. So we played in the airport uh, just off we, as we got off the plane. We played later that night at the family's house. And I think part of what that reflects is just that their kingdom lives are so intertwined with just their everyday lives that there's not a break between them. And they're so... Um, together as one, that there's not really a difference for them. And that made a real impression on me and really encouraged me with that. And just um, the way they live in the spirit was just shocking to me, almost. It was, the, they are very open to the spirit. And I think part of it is because they, they're, um, they actually, they need it. They depend on the spirit because they are the persecuted church to a certain extent, and they really need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And um, so that was just something that really I was able to take away from that. Um, the Another thing that I really enjoyed uh, while I was there and surprised me at first was how they have anyone minister, no matter what age you are. So... I um, got, was asked to speak in the middle of a service uh, two minutes before I got up and spoke, um, which was a little bit nerve-wracking at first, but uh, when you, they I, had me do it sometimes, so I had to get used to that. But that was just another way, I think, of them just to see how um, they, they don't need to perfect things. You know, it's just if you're going to, you do ministry 
and you jump right in, and it's not perfect, but it really um, gives you just experience and just helps you see the kingdom of God a lot better. Um, another thing that struck me was just the joy there. I mean, truly, the joy of the Lord is their strength there. They are super joyful, and they're all in community together, and they're just um, really, they're happy, but um, you can tell that it comes from God, and it's not artificial. It's very um, unique and organic. And uh, we went to a village where um, there were kids, and all they had were was a... Um, tire and a corn stalk and they'd used to roll it and that was their only toy and yet they were very they were happy they'd be laughing they'd be you know trying to teach me how to do the tire they were very joyful and just it just showed that they really trust on trusting God to really uh, rejuvenate them and strengthen them and when I was there it was just I was given um, such an impression they give uh youth a lot of things to do and there's a lot of um, youth activity and uh, they really just um, put a lot of uh, resources into the next generation and as I was there I just got uh, such a strong just feeling that um, our generation needs to keep this partnership that has been um, flowing back and forth between Nigeria and our church. And I just think that's something that's so important for us as the next generation. And youth there means um, like 12 to 25. So it's a pretty big span. But the youth there are really committed to just taking up um, the work of the generation before them and moving it on. And I um, was able to see that and really become just more excited about how we can do that here and how we as youth can work together to um, further the kingdom and teach uh, people who don't know about Jesus um, the good news of Christ. So I was thankful to God that he um, uh, just organized and ordained this whole trip, and um, I'm also thankful for you to just uh, allow me to go. So thank you. So, Bishop Zyke, thank you for this opportunity. Moimoim basically means bean mash, okay? <laughs> so, uh, but it's a spicy bean mash, so it, is, it does have its nobility. Um, I think one of the highlights for me was going to a small village, which is two miles west of Joss, um, and seeing a little tiny Anglican church called St. Barnabas Anglican Church. Um, what we would call a rickety building, um, windows but no screens, doors, holes but no doors, uh, wood frame, uh, very simple wood frame, um, and wasps flying all over in the rafters, um, but we were told they're born-again wasps, so you don't have to worry about them. But, um, and uh, Father Andrew, who's the priest of this local parish, this village of 150 people, and just seeing the pastoral work that he is doing, um, to him it's not a difficult place. Uh, to him, it's, he doesn't feel like, oh, I'm making this great sacrifice to be here. He loves it there. He loves the, the country. He loves the, the village atmosphere. And so he is doing um, amazing community development. Um, 
He's got a farm there. He's growing beans. He's growing tomatoes. He does his own irrigation system. They dig it by hands from a a river and a little pump. And he's got plans to use to raise more chickens. Everything, the fertilizer is chicken dung. Um, And so he is feeding his people, and he's also providing jobs for his people. So it's amazing community development. But then there's also the spiritual aspect of he's he's a pastor. He's a pastor to this village of 150 people. they're Anglicans, so they should be having Eucharist every week, but they only have it every other week because they can't afford the wine and the bread, you know. That was like, really? I mean, I just cannot imagine us. Like, okay, there'll be no Eucharist this Sunday. We can't afford the wine and the bread. Um, and, um, but, you know, he's, he's a man that's filled with joy. He's pastoring his people. Uh, the men, polygamy is practiced in this village, so most of the men have two or three wives, which creates very tricky pastoral issues when somebody comes to Christ. Um, so the way that they work it out is you don't, you don't have to put away your wives because that would be an economic disaster for the women and for the children. But now that you're a Christian, don't take any more wives, okay? Um, just stay with the two or three you have and make the best of it from there. So some very interesting pastoral uh, conditions. Just one real quick vignette. The, one of the highlights of the trip for me is we went into that that Anglican church, we knelt down by the altar, and um, Father Andrew was praying for me, and with usual Nigerian intensity, you know, and it's just like, I'm thinking, I just, this is just too much, it's too intense, you know, I mean, you know, Stuart, he can handle this, you know, this is his, the air that he breathes, but me, it's like, it's a Minnesota guy, I just like, give me a break, okay, I don't need another intense prayer over me, you know, and all of a sudden, I feel this, I'm kneeling down, and and all of a sudden, I feel this, this little hand on my back, and then another little hand on my back, and then another little hand on my back. And pretty soon, I turn around, and there's like 40 little hands on my back. And these are all the children from the village. They've just surrounded me without any prompting, and they're laying hands on me. And I just started laughing, you know. It's like, oh my gosh, God, you are so good to bring your healing, just exactly what I need right now, you know. And uh, that, to me, was one of the highlights of the trip. So, again, thanks for your partnership in this. Uh, We really felt like, and since I went and since I went back, I feel like, we did this as a church. Uh, three people went, but a lot of us went in, in spirit and support, and I really appreciate that. So thank you.